0: You are listening to the Murray Hills Church Podcast. To learn more about Murray Hills Church, including our gathering times and how to connect with us, visit us online at murrayhills.com. Good morning, Murray Hills. It's good to be here. This is the early service. And uh, believe it or not, uh, my wife actually wanted me to be here for the earlier service. Uh, She rushed in and she said, Trent, you're going to be late. Uh, You got to be there for the 8 o'clock service. I was like, 8 o'clock service? I said, I think it's uh, 9 o'clock. I was like, no, it's 9.30. And then we figured out, I said, "Uh, which service are you coming to? She said, I'll be at the late service. So, (laughs) (laughs) I think she just wanted to make sure I got here on time, and, and I am thankful to be here this morning, and thankful for my brother Russ, and for how uh, God is using him, and for this uh, wonderful Murray Hills family, and why you give God praise for what God is doing here at Murray Hills. Come on and praise the Lord this morning. We serve an awesome and amazing God, this wonderful uh, praise team, um, Scott, and how they have shared this morning. Uh, giving all praise and honor to god and we're thankful uh, to do that especially on this sunday which is palm sunday i'm thankful for um my wife uh, yolanda i've men- mentioned her and triana my daughter and michaela who was in the back uh, who was my youngest daughter but who was in charge of our media team at bethel chapel so um, her task is to keep me um, uh, focused and on my slides and so i'm gonna need you all to help me with that okay so every now and then, I'll say, you know, uh, repeat after me, or I may, you know, give uh, some uh, big declaration. So if uh, I'm going a little long, just say, preach, preacher. And if I go really too long, just holler out, stop. <laughs> okay? And I will respond. <clears throat> this uh, wonderful series uh, by your uh, very gifted and dynamic pastor, uh, Russ uh, he, he put together a tale of five cities, and I think it is very appropriate as we look at where we are today. And you've made a wonderful uh, journey, as he has mentioned, um, throughout the Bible, uh, chronicling the life of Jesus. And here we are at Jerusalem. And if you would join me at John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Only after Jesus was glorified did they recognize that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Wouldn't it be amazing if the whole world does go after Jesus? (laughs) Anybody looking forward to that? Here we are at Jerusalem, the high holy city. Um, You can see its position there on the mountains. And uh, this is a picture of the old Jerusalem. And when you look at it, it just looks stoic and majestic, a peaceful place a high holy place seated upon a mountain. And when we look at Jerusalem uh, being over 5,020 years old, about 2,600 feet above sea level, um, the city sits on a mountain, Mount Zion, across from the Mount of Olives, among hills, surrounded by deep ravines. And Psalms 125.2 says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. When we think about Jerusalem, a high, uplifted, a holy place that recognized and reflected God's presence, you have to look up to Jerusalem. You got to get up to go to Jerusalem. You got to rise up for Jerusalem. But this This passage of scripture is really going to tell us about how God loved us so much, even though his presence rested and Jerusalem was the holy place, how Jesus, who was high, came low. So we who were low could go high. Can I get an amen on that? (laughs) When we look at Jesus' journey and what Jesus went through and where Jesus started, we find as it goes all the way down that era, uh, Jerusalem, last week, Marvin Korr, my brother, he talked about Bethany and how Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. He was anointed at Bethany. And now he is coming to Jerusalem. When we think about Jerusalem and look at the city of Jerusalem, the next map shows that in Jerusalem, where you have the temple. That is the Temple Mount that is right up there, uh, kind of at the upper uh, right-hand corner. You have the Mount of Olives that is adjacent. And you can see around Jerusalem, even though it is a laid-out city, you can see all the points where Jesus was preaching there in the temple. You can see where uh, Jesus uh, appears before Caiaphas, the high priest, and he's denied by Peter. They have the Last Supper. Uh, You can see where Jesus stands trial and ultimately winds up there on Golgotha at Calvary, where he is crucified, all within the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the name means peace, a city of peace, a possession of peace. But Jerusalem had been destroyed twice, besieged 23 times, attacked 52 times, Captured and recaptured 44 times. You can imagine that if Jerusalem stands for peace, there was a whole lot of turmoil. There was a whole lot of conflict in Jerusalem. When we look at the names for Jerusalem in the Bible, it says the city of God, the city of the great king, the city of Judah, Zion, the holy city, the holy mountain, the city of David, because it was originally inhabited by the Jebusites, but David conquered. Uh, the uh, Jebusites and, and took over the land and, and identified and, and made it the place of God's presence. And that's where the temple was built. And even though uh, David started the work, it was his son Solomon who built the temple. But the most important thing that I think David really who had a heart for God, even though he had his mistakes and failures being the great king, David made sure that the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the temple, the Ark of the Covenant that represented God's presence. Which is so important because you go back to that original picture and you see Jerusalem, how great it looked and and how how it was uh, stoic and majestic. Jerusalem was nothing just like we're nothing unless God's presence is on the inside of us. Hallelujah. So when we look at Jerusalem, the place of peace, the only way that Jerusalem could have peace was with God and who God had sent to bring peace to Jerusalem. During this time, there was about 30,000 people that was the population of Jerusalem. During Passover, the population swelled to well over 150,000. And in some estimates, about 1 million to 2 million people may have been in Jerusalem. Kind of reminds me of Mule Day claims back in the day that we have over 500,000 people who come to Columbia uh, for Mule Day. That was a good joke. Come on. <laughs> I, I, we, we wouldn't be able to move and get to Kroger or to Legends if there was over 500,000 people in Columbia, even though it does seem like that when you're on 31 going north. I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> so in Jerusalem, it was the center of worship. And even today, there are three major religions that claim the city of Jerusalem as their home. Um, Islam, because in Abraham, who was the father of many nations, um, his first son uh, by Hagar was Ishmael. is where we get Islam. They claim uh, portions of Jerusalem. You get Judaism, uh, the the Jewish faith that comes out of Isaac, who was uh, the promised son of God. And so in uh, Isaac, um, you... You have Isaac, who who had uh, two sons, uh, Jacob and Esau. Jacob uh, was one who um, was restored, and his name changed to Israel, where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And then ultimately, coming through the lineage of David, we have Jesus and Christianity that claims Jerusalem. So this place of peace, we now find why Jesus entered Jerusalem. There are seven points that I want to leave with you, and then I'm going to go back down there and sit beside Russ. There are seven points. Number one, Jesus cried. Jesus arrived. Jesus was denied. Jesus was tried. Jesus was glorified. Jesus was crucified, and Jesus died. We began that he cried as he approached Jerusalem, you find in Luke chapter 19. He says, if you had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. In Matthew 23, uh, Jesus declared, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who are sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Jesus cries as he Uh, begins to enter Jerusalem and weeps over the city because uh, Jesus knows that Jerusalem looks good from the outside. But there are some things that are going on on the inside that only God knows. And even um, when when you're trying to do your best to look like you have it all together in life, there's an old thing we learned in in, in Vacation Bible School, uh, no God means no peace. But when you know God, K-N-O-W, you know peace. And here Jesus arrives, the very prince of peace, and he is rejected, he arrives into the city, he begins to cry, he begins to weep. The capital city of peace, the name Jerusalem that means peace. Dr. King said at best, peace is not merely the absence of some negative force, war, our tensions, our confusion, But it is the presence of some positive force, justice, goodwill, the power of the kingdom of God. Peace is not merely to be absent of this tension, but to be present in the presence of justice. Peace is doing God's will. Jesus cried because he knew as he was arriving to Jerusalem that God's will must be done, but it was manifest in his presence. For there was nobody as holy in Jerusalem than Jesus. There was nobody who had been promised to come and arrive even at the time of Passover. Jesus was in the right place at the right time, and the people still rejected him. But let me tell you something. As long as you know you're in the right place at the right time, as long as you know you're in God's will, it don't matter what other people might say about you. That's a good place for it, amen. (laughs) Because as long as I know I've got God's approval, it doesn't matter what others might say. And look at how Jesus arrived, the symbol of peace. Zechariah had prophesied it. He says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous. Everybody say, Righteous. Righteous. Victorious. And lowly. Riding on a donkey on a coat and the foal of a donkey. He was the king. He was righteous. He was victorious. He came humbly, lowly. He he didn't come looking like he was righteous. He didn't come looking like he was victorious because after all, he came on a donkey. (laughs) Can I tell you today, it's not what it looks like is what we know in who we are. Jesus knew who he was. So he didn't come trying to look righteous because he was righteous. He didn't come trying to prove to the people he was great being on a, a wonderful horse as if he was a military ruler coming in. But he came lowly on a donkey, one that had never been ridden on. And don't you know that morning when he went to rent a donkey? And 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 you know herds enterprise it doesn't matter he went to run a donkey and and this particular one wasn't ready to go out yet but it's like you come on you're going to carry Jesus and don't you know donkeys if they don't want to do what they don't want to do they just don't do it I learned this from my grandfather on, on on the farm but in this case it was a symbol that even Jesus' presence, the creatures of creation bow down and are peaceful. And they succumb and they humble themselves even to the presence of Jesus. Jesus comes on the foal of a donkey. He arrives on the 10th day of the first month. Now today is the, is it the 10th? Hmm, something important here. It's the beginning of Passover celebration of one of the three main feasts. You have Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. But the celebration of Passover is important because this was instituted when the children of Israel were in Egypt and they were under the Egyptian bondage and and God sent Moses down to tell Pharaoh to let his people go and Pharaoh refused and God sent the plagues. The tenth plague was that the death angel would come Throughout the land, the deaf angel would kill the firstborn of every household. But he told the children of Israel, listen, go in, go and find a lamb, one without spot or blemish. Examine the lamb for four days. And then what I want you to do is sacrifice and kill the lamb and take a branch of hyssop from the blood of the lamb and put it over your doorpost." And when the deaf angel tonight comes through the land and he sees the blood over the doorposts, he will pass over you. A part of that meal was bitter herbs to recognize the bitterness of slavery and also the bitterness of sin. Don't you know that in that night, the deaf angel came through the land and passed over the homes of all the Israelites when he saw the blood and he told them about the unleavened bread, uh, reason this is important. Leaven was a symbol of, of, of sin, and it's a symbol of how bread rises. But that night, Pharaoh told them to go and leave, and they left before the bread had a chance to, to rise. And that's why we celebrate the communion with the unleavened bread, because it is the symbol of Passover. And aren't you glad that here Jesus arrives, the great Lamb of God, he arrives to be the Passover lamb. The people cry out, Hosanna, save now, we beseech thee. This was a prayer. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They wanted to be saved for the Roman occupation, the Roman taxation. They wanted to be saved from today's problems and tomorrow's fears. But Jesus had a different saving that he was coming to do. He was coming to save humanity from his sins. Look at the crowds crying peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're giving praise to Jesus. Some of the Pharisees and scribes come and say, tell your disciples to be quiet. But Jesus responds, if these hold their peace, the very rocks will cry out. And during this time, as he arrives in Jerusalem to the praises of the people, John chapter 13 begins by saying, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Not only did he arrive in the city of Jerusalem, but he arrives to the place appointed there in the upper room with his disciples. And he begins to teach them. He begins uh, to break bread with them. He begins to reveal himself to them. It's in this place that Jesus also, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, with his anointing, he was a serving savior because he washes his disciples' feet. Now, we saw him humbly coming in on a donkey. But we now see him humbly bowing low to wash the dirtiest part of his disciples' feet. Peter speaks up, the one <laughs> at, a, at a Caesarea Philippi says, you are the Christ, the son of the willing God. He said, you're not going to wash my feet. I don't know if he had corns, athlete's foot. <laughs> if he had just really stinky fetiditis or something like that, I, I don't... I I don't know, but Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you will have no parts of me. Peter says, well then, go ahead, wash my head, my shoulders, my knees, and my toes, because Jesus was, was exemplifying the importance of being clean. No matter how clean we think we are, it is only in the presence of Jesus that we discover we're not as clean as Jesus is. But it it takes the power of Jesus in in his presence to cleanse us and wash us from the inside out. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. He knows the dirtiest parts of our lives. He knows the dirtiest parts of the things that other people may not know or don't want to deal with. Jesus arrives, he arrives even today to wash us and to make us clean. Something else that I think he was sharing with his disciples, even though um, John doesn't give the discourse of the communion, he does do something that I think is important. He talks really about a living communion, a living communion, because Jesus is exemplifying what it means to be humble. This week, uh, the masters golf. Any golfers in, in here? Russ, I know you don't golf. Okay, Uh, uh, so so this week, the Masters uh, kicks off and and golf, even though I've tried it, I've never made it past the driving range. I've I've tried golf, but golf is unlike basketball and baseball, bowling, uh, tennis, where the person with the highest score wins and golf is the one with the lowest score. Right? The one with the lowest score wins. Tiger Woods, they're talking about he's coming back from his injury and so forth. How is he doing at the Masters? And Tiger Woods is famous for having the lowest score in golf. Which Jesus was sharing with his disciples, it's not how high you think you can get, it's how low. Low is the way to the kingdom. It's your humility. As I have demonstrated in my arrival in Jerusalem, as I have demonstrated in washing your feet, it is your humility. If there is one thing that would keep people from receiving Jesus and missing heaven, it's pride. I did it my way. He said, no, it's not the highway. It's not my way. It's the low way. Jesus arrives to demonstrate that. Two, Two donkeys were walking in Jerusalem. I guess they're trying to make it and catch up with the wagon train. They were walking in Jerusalem, and one donkey said to the other, Just yesterday I was here carrying Jesus, and the people were singing and shouting, throwing their clothes, letting me walk on them. And today they don't even recognize me. The other donkey cleared his throat. throat) throat) There's how it is, my friend. Without Jesus, you're nothing. That's the importance of the humility of Jesus. Not only did Jesus arrive, but he was denied. In John 13, he says, The new commandment I give unto you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This denial is prophetic because in our own lives, in our own situations, you don't have to raise your hand, but sometimes we come with these great claims of all the things we're going to do for Jesus. And this time, I know I messed up, but it's going to be the last time. I'm, I'm going to do better. I'm going I'm to get it straightened out. Sometimes before 30 minutes, we have gone back on what, our intentions were. Jesus was denied by Peter three times, but this same Peter who denied him when he was at the fire, warming himself, and asked him, are you one of the disciples? Were you with Jesus? He said, no, I don't know him. A few extra cuss word somewhere, I think in one of the translations he's in there, just to prove his point. No, I was not with Jesus, but he was with Jesus. He was there when Jesus had just washed his feet. He could look at his feet and see he was clean because of Jesus, but he still denied Jesus. Three times, Peter was at the fire. He was under fire when the pressure got hot of life and 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 he he was questioned about his relationship and connection with Jesus. But can I tell you his his denial moved to determination because it's the same Peter on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls that he's preaching about Jesus and, and how Jesus Uh, uh, changed his life and how Jesus, even though he had denied him, Jesus still came and asked him three times, do you love me? And he said, feed my sheep, which is a message for anybody this morning. It doesn't matter how many times you deny Jesus, Jesus can still use you. Jesus still loves you. He can turn your denial to determination. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus was denied, but in the midst of him being denied, he was also identified. He was the Messiah, which means he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus in John 14 and 6 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. That claim was what messed up the religious leaders the 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 the, the folk the, the Pharisees who should have known who had studied the law, who should have known the times and the places, and should have been prepared to receive Jesus. He was identified, but his identity wasn't just revealed in. Jerusalem for uh, the Pharisees had come and talked to John about him and you find in John chapter 1 they came and asked John are you the one are you the Messiah and John said no 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 kind of remind me of of uh, uh, Johnny Carson show Uh, I I am kind of showing my age when I said that (laughs) Ed McMahon before he was famous for delivering the big checks to your door he had one of the best jobs on the Tonight Show. Ed McMahon, every night, had one claim. He would look good in his suit, he would have that million dollar smile, and he would say, Here's Johnny. And when the Pharisees come to talk to John, John says, No, I'm not the one. There's one coming after me. <laughs> Here's Jesus. He's coming after me. He is the one. He is the Messiah. And when he sees Jesus coming, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Jesus' identity was questioned by many, but Jesus knew who he was. John had come bearing witness of who he was. Jesus was the great I am. He says, no one comes to the Father except by me which would have messed up the religious leaders because it gave them much power when people came to do their sacrifices of of their roles and their places. They thought because of who they were, what system they had put in place, that they were somehow connecting people and connecting their ability to make the sacrifices during the Passover. But Jesus comes saying, I am... The son of God, which they said is blasphemy. And during this time, as his identity is revealed, it led to him being tried. They had already planned to kill Jesus when he arrived in Jerusalem. And Jesus tried. He really did. Yes, Jesus tried. But the Roman government was in control. They were keeping the peace over Jerusalem. Jerusalem if you will. They were looking for any uprisings or anybody who came and disturbed the order of the day. There was a connection between the Roman government and, and the religious authorities of the day. Uh, you, you keep the law in order, we'll keep the temple, and as long as we don't disturb one another, as long as you don't mess with, with us, we'll let you do what you need to do as long as you let us do what we come to do. The Pharisees, promoted the strict adherence to the Mosaic law, separation from cult and the Sadducees rejected oral tradition and life after death and protected their wealth and compromised with Rome. And the scribes interpreted and recorded and taught the law. And Jesus goes to the temple and finds them exchanging money and it, it, it finds this, this great flea market and he wipes all of them out, saying, get out of here because this house should be a house of prayer but you've made it a den of thieves. When Jesus janitorial service shows up (laughs) he knows how to cleanse the temple and I'm glad he just doesn't do spring cleaning (laughs) but he keeps on cleaning all those areas that there are places and there have been things set up that are not like him when you let him in he he cleans up your mind he cleans up your heart. He cleans up your soul. He cleans up those places that you have said, I'll, "I'll, if I can get myself together, if you're the one that's bringing the dirt, how can you get your own self clean? But it's only when you surrender and let him clean you up. He tried to restore order, but the temple they felt was in their control. Jesus tried and because he tried, he would be tried. and He would face trial. But the next part that I think is wonderful is that Jesus was glorified before he got to his greatest trial. In John chapter 17, listen, as I read it, it says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. was knowing that the love of God was manifest through Jesus. Jesus was made flesh and dwelt among us. And because of that, he prayed that we may be one as he and the Father are one. And when we are in Jesus and we become saved and Jesus is in us, there is a connection. We are united, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now that unity allows us to be in peace with one another. Finally, in John 19, they led Jesus at the exact time that the the lambs are being sacrificed in the temple. There, Jesus is before Caiaphas, the high priest who was in charge of the temple sacrifice. He is being examined as the lambs are being examined in the temple for the Passover feast. They could not find any fault in Jesus. But Jesus had made up in his mind to give his life as a ransom for many. He had made up in his mind to surrender his all. Even though the people that he came to rejected him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the son did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Somebody shout hallelujah. Pilate said, should I crucify your king? They replied, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. The chief priest answered, They rejected the spiritual and the divine power, which was God's way, for their own way, which was earthly and destructive, their governing power. Pilate even made a sign. He puts it above the cross in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, for every nation and tongue to understand it. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. He was crucified, the ultimate sacrifice. And in John 19 and 30 when he had received the drink of vinegar, Jesus said it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. My work is done. It is finished. The bitterness is over. It is finished. The sting of sin. I have taken the sins of the world upon myself. The righteous for the unrighteous. The holy for the unholy. I have taken the darkness so that They can live in the light. The price has been paid in full. It is finished. I fulfill my assignment. The Bible declares the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom, meaning no separation between God and us. There is one mediator between God and man being the one Jesus Christ. No separation of Jew and Gentile slave are free for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Because he died, we have victory. But because of his death, and Russ is gonna talk about this in a new series he's got coming up What Happens When I Die? Death was not the end. It didn't have the final word because Jesus defeated death. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ. Come on and put your hands together and glorify the Lord this morning. We've got victory because of Jesus. Because he died. Hallelujah. I can face tomorrow. Because he died, all my fears are gone. But I want to leave you with something. He died not only for the forgiveness of our sins and for salvation, but he died so that we would be able to spend eternity with him. And this same John, (laughs) even though the current Jerusalem that Jesus came to was corrupt and rejected him and it was filled with chaos and turmoil and Jerusalem was set for many times of devastation, he saw a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven in Revelation chapter 21, and in this new Jerusalem, can I tell you about it? It is God's dwelling place where God is among the people, and he will dwell with him, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, i make it everything new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. So that's why we can rejoice. That's why death doesn't have the final word, because we get to spend eternity with the Lord forever. I'm glad today that everything Jesus went through in Jerusalem, it was for us. Jesus took our pain. He granted us mercy. So we can have peace with God and live in peace with one another. Our sin, his salvation, our darkness, his light, our pain, his power. Our faith, his, our fear, his faith, our disgrace, his grace. And I'm glad today that it was for us. And I give him praise. I give him glory. That he put himself in harm's way so that you and I could be free forever. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you, O God, that in the midst of life, yes, there is death, but you overcame death and you have given us victory to receive everlasting life. We love you, we praise you, we rejoice today. But we know, O oh God, that you love us, you went to Calvary's cross for us, and you're coming back again one day for us. Help us, O oh God, to live with that hope and that expectation and the same love, grace, and mercy that we have received that you displayed in Jerusalem. Let us display that and how we live each and every day. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at MurrayHills.com.